Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Good to see you all this morning. And let me just say, wow, what an awesome presence of God. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Tim, for your leadership. Uh, every time we have come here, we've just been blessed and caught up in the presence of God. And if you didn't, if you didn't get anything out of the worship, you're dead. I don't know how else to say. You need to wake up. You need to open up your heart because God is present in this place. And uh, to those who reach out to him, he touches our hearts. And, and that's part of the church. I mean, people that neglect going to church, they don't know if they're missing because worship is such a great part of what we do. We come into God's house and we worship the Lord together. You may make have come in this morning really downtrodden, depressed, upset. Uh, some of you, it's over the weather. Yesterday it was almost 60. You're like, oh, this is so great. It's almost summer. And today it's winter time. Well, we know it's winter. The calendar tells us that. I don't care what Pakistani Phil says. Um, maybe relationship issues. Maybe you had an unexpected bill. It doesn't matter what. We come into his presence and worship, and we, we focus on the Lord, and he changes everything. We, you know, years ago, we sang a song. I know it's still being sung, and it's been reworked. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his presence, grace. So we turn our eyes on the Lord because that's our hope, and um, wow, we're so blessed that we could be here today um, trying to help out during a time of need in Pastor Brian and Paula's life, and you got... You, you are blessed with a with a great uh, pastoral couple. I don't say that because um, he told me to say that. I say it because it's true. And we've known Pastor Brian and Paula for, for years. And I could tell you there's some pastors that aren't really plugged in. They're doing it kind of like an occupation. But, but that's not your pastor and his wife. They love the Lord and they love where God has called them in ministry. And just love on them and pray for them and Bless them every opportunity you get, and watch what God will do, do in your life. Um, I love the uh, the bulletin with all the announcements, and I particularly love on the back of it the uh, picture of the baby. Glory to God for creator of life. Um, our daughter is executive director at Cornerstone. She follows Sue Smith, and God called Sue home a few months ago to glory, and we really miss Sue. Um, and I have served on the board for years, along with your pastor who serves on the board, and this is so close to my heart. Every week, it seems, we get abortion-minded ladies that come into Cornerstone, and because of all the technology that is being used, we pop up first when women are searching for an abortion. Our name pops up, Cornerstone, and uh, our people have a chance to talk to people, invite them to come in for a free ultrasound, and... um, it's amazing what God does through those sessions and those who come in abortion-minded change their mind. And, and it's because of people like you and many others who pray and support this ministry in Salem County that reaches outside of Salem County. And, and it's duplicated all across America where we have ministries like Cornerstone. And um, if I'm not mistaken, um, it was uh, the son of Tom Mosley who really was burdened to start cornerstone way back almost like 37 years ago and i believe tom mosley jr or the second whichever he was he attended here am i correct 
Okay, and it was through his daughter coming home with something she had to write, and I remember some of the history. And he said, we got to do something. That was the beginning of Cornerstone Women's Resource Center, which now has been 37, 38 years, and so many children have been born, so many lives have been changed. You need to know that we don't just speak life to a mother-to-be. Um, we speak salvation because we want to see lives changed. And so we've seen people getting saved, babies being born, Women so happy they made the choice for life. And so this is really great what you do. Give, watch what God continues to do with Cornerstone. What a, what a really, really important, important ministry. So I have a question for you this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ, why not? And when will you choose to follow him? Because the day is the day of salvation. So I want to say to all of you here, I know that there's many believers here there could be someone here this morning that's in church that's not saved. And I, we've been worshiping the Lord. And I need to tell you what, there's no hope apart from Jesus. So Loretta said, I don't care if you, someone gave you a billion dollars a day. That's not going to save your soul. It's not going to bring joy to you. There's a lot of miserable, miserable rich people. Have you ever read the news? Go read the news. Um, people that don't know the Lord. So... <laughs> I need to say to you again that Jesus proclaimed in John 14, 6 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way. And in Acts chapter 4, the apostle Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaimed, Then know this, you and everyone else in Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom Christ, God raised from the dead, the grave couldn't hold his love. This man stands before you completely healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's Acts 4, 10 to 12. So I'm going to say to you, today's the day. Don't um, put off this most important choice because you may not have another day. John 9, excuse me, John 10, 9, 10 says, I, Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. And I would say to you that when you accept Christ and you begin to journey on this path of serving the Lord, You'll discover what many people have already discovered. You will taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Blessed is the man or woman that trusts in him. And you'll discover real purpose in life, real hope, real joy, real meaning. Now, I don't say that as a teenager talking to you. You can look at me and tell I'm not a teenager. Do you ever, do you ever go in the store and buy something and the thing comes up and says, we've got to check your, your ID to see how old you are? I was in Walmart and I got some kind of chemicals, and it popped up a flag. And the person came over, and I said, do you need to see my ID to know that I'm over 18? Or She just smiled. No, she didn't need to see my ID. Um, but you'll discover, and we have discovered through years of life, my wife and I, um, the Lord is good. He keeps promises that he makes. He's the only one that makes and keeps every promise, by the way. The only one that makes and keeps every promise. Now, we've all made promises, 
But if we're going to be honest this morning, we're going to have to say that we haven't kept every promise. Okay? But he makes and keeps every one. So you can trust him with your life, and you can trust him with your eternity. And we're going to be talking about that here this morning. Uh, You saw the title in the bulletin, um, I'm Bound for the Promised Land. So I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever flown, been up in the air, airplane, helicopter, small little Piper Cub, whatever, okay? Um, I remember my first flight. I think it was your brother, my brother-in-law, Jay. Jay, Jay, my uh, was married to my wife's sister, and uh, he flew helicopter in Vietnam. And uh, one day he said, "Hey, we'll take you up in a plane," and he did. And then he did some fancy stuff. We drop, and you're like, "Whoa!" I mean, you're in a small plane, like a four seater. You can feel everything, and you you see, and 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 you're flying lower to the ground. You're not way up there, big jet. And when you're turning sideways. And you're, you're looking right down at the ground. He's doing all this stuff. He's like, oh, yeah. Help me, Jesus. If you know what I'm talking about. But, but here's what's neat about flight. You can go almost anywhere in the world in a short period of time. So many years ago, um, I joined a group of people from my brother's church. He pastored in uh, Wincote, which is just outside northeast Philly. And we traveled to Lithuania to work with missionaries there. And uh, we got on a jet in Philadelphia, which carried over 250 people, all right? And we flew eight hours nonstop to Frankfurt, Germany. How many have been to Frankfurt, Germany? The airport in Frankfurt, Germany is incredible. When you go to these airports, you're just amazed at how many people fly. I mean, you think Philadelphia is big or going out of Newark or wherever. Frankfurt is, like, incredible, all the people fly. And then from Frankfurt, we flew two more hours into Vilnius, Lithuania, uh, 10 hours of flight time. Well, my wife and I and some of our family had a chance many years ago to visit where the first powered flight took place in 1903. That's like a little over 118 years ago. So anybody here ever been down to Kitty Hawk on the Outer Banks? Okay? Because if you hadn't had a chance to get down there, you ought to check it out. Um, it was Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Orville and Wilbur Wright spent a number of years and did hundreds of experiments with balloons and gliders trying to unveil the secret of powered by an engine flight. Those two men, sons of a minister and owners of a bicycle shop in the state of Ohio, shut themselves off from much of the world on an isolated piece of sandy land next to the Atlantic Ocean. Now, I might add here a little bit of kind of God's humor. Their dad was a minister. And at one of the minister's conventions, the bishop in charge was talking about what he saw in the future of things that were going to change. And part of what he saw was that man was going to be able to fly. And it says that he got up, he took his two sons, and he said, Let's get out of here. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, isn't that a little interesting? And, and God used his two sons, Orville and Wilbur. Okay? So they built a small little quarters, and uh, they, they stayed there, 
and they build a little workstation. And you can go and visit. They have some of those things like there they fixed up. And they worked on worked and worked on this grand idea of flying in a plane with an engine. Now, before that, there were many people trying to figure out how to fly. There were hot air balloons that could take you up, all right? There were people that you see old pictures of people decked out with, like, wings. They made themselves wings like a bird and would jump off the top of a mountain, okay? That didn't go too well. Um, but they were working on this idea of flying, powered flight, overcoming the law of gravity and taking weight up in the air and keeping it there. There were many long, lonely, hot, and discouraging days. Yet they were passionate about their dream. And they didn't allow themselves to get distracted by other things or people as they pursued this dream. And then it happened. December 17th, 1903, they lifted off the ground for 12 seconds. Woohoo! You'd say, what's the big deal about that? Big deal was that's the first time a powered flight lifted off the ground. That's the big deal. And they went 120 feet. Woohoo! See, that's nothing. That was just the beginning. They had some more experiments that day. And uh, Wilbur, Orville flew that first flight. Wilbur flew the final flight that day. And the final flight was 852 feet and lasted 59 seconds. It's amazing how it progressed. Now you can fly from here to Frankfurt, Germany, nonstop, hours in the air, tons of weight with passengers and cargo, and think nothing of it. But it was two men who were passionate. And I believe that God placed that in their heart. Because when I study history, I study how many inventors were believers. And God gave them keys to unlock mysteries of things. And we benefit from that. We don't even think sometimes about it. You go out and start your car. This, uh, this church started in a carriage shop in Salem, correct? Back when they had horse and buggies. And that was just the norm. And then all of a sudden, listen, did you get in a horse and buggy to come to church this morning? Unless you're Amish, you probably didn't. Okay. All right. You probably came out of a warm house with central air, central heat, right? All those nice things that they didn't have years ago. You hopped in your In fact, you probably started your car before you left the house because you had a remote start. If you didn't, you had to let it warm up. You got in your warm car had the heater on, no time, you're warm. doesn't matter, it was 60 yesterday, and it's 30 this morning. You were warm. You adjusted your seat up, down, back. You, oh, it's just so wonderful, isn't it? You think nothing of it. Roll back the clock 100 years ago, a whole different story. So people were passionate about making life a little easier uh, in, in many ways, and we see that with all kinds of events. Flight is one of them. But the key here is... They were focused, and they were passionate. Because of the Wright brothers, their short flight time resulted in hundreds and thousands, millions of people who have flown around the world. And when I look at those two guys in 1903, I say to myself at times, could they ever have imagined 
what the future looked like as a concerned flight. Could they ever imagined? Because there were all kind of naysayers, and even when you go to the museum down there, you'll see comments from generals and military leaders. And one of the comments was, <clears throat> airplanes will never be used in war. World War I, which wasn't that many years later, was already using airplanes. So it's interesting. But let's look at this part of passion and staying with a dream. I, th- I think that most of you here that have been in the church any length of time, read the Bible, understand this is not our final home. We're just passing through. If you haven't read any of those passages, you need to get your Bible out because it's all in there. We may get three score and ten, if perchance four score. You may have seven years, if perchance eight. That's what Scripture says, kind of the average lifespan. This is not our home forever. We are, we are headed for heaven, okay? So someone wrote this song. Get your song books out. You're right in front of you. You have them in there in your pew. 266. 266, the title of the song is, I Am Bound for the Promised Land. How many of you remember singing that song? Raise your hand. Okay. 266 was written based on Scripture. So many of our songs that we sing, whether it's on the screen here in a hymn book or whatever, was written based on promises of Scripture. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand... And I cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Heaven. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. All over those wide extended plains shine one eternal day. There God the sun forever reigns and scatters night away. No chilling winds nor poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. Sickness and sorrow, pain and death are felt and feared no more. When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my father's face and in his bosom rest? I am bound for the promised land. Now I don't know about you, but I'm bound for the promised land. And I need to do things to keep me on target to get to the promised land. Now, you know, when guys get in the cockpit of the airplane and fly, They don't just go up in the air and say, well, let's see. Charlie, what do you think is the best way to get to Frankfurt, Germany? Do you got any kind of like map or anything? Is there any kind of GPS or any kind of, uh, what if we just fly around for a while and somehow we'll figure it out? Do you want a pilot like that? I don't, because in the process you're going to run out of gas. You might have to crash land. You know, there's so much fuel, they got so many miles per gallon kind of thing. And you better get to your destination with gas in your tank yet. And you better not be wasting time going in circles. You have a route that you're following. And the people that fly know that. Aren't you glad when you've been in big planes flying, you had someone up there at the wheel who knew where he was going, or she knew where she was going. And you got there pretty much on time. And sometimes you get there a little early according to what the winds are like. Pretty neat. God wants us to stay on target. Saying I am bound for the promised land is not enough. There are things I must do to guarantee I'm going from here one day to heaven as opposed to going from here to hell. Because there's one of two places we're going to spend eternity. And by the way, I don't care what popular culture says, not everybody goes to heaven. 
or goes to a better place, whatever your definition is of a better place. And if you don't believe that, you haven't read the Bible. Jesus tells so many stories. There's so many scriptures about heaven and hell. The rich man and the beggar. Rich man got it all made. Boy, how many rich, arrogant people do you see today? They got it all made. They, they're all good to go, and, and they joke about hell, and, and they don't want to go to heaven because it's boring. You're going to be sitting on a cloud all day strumming a harp and all that nonsense. I'm going to tell you what, the party's in heaven, the pain's in hell. And then they both die. And roles change because the beggar is carried in the bosom of Abraham into heaven. And the rich man's in hell. And the rich man becomes the beggar. And the beggar becomes the rich man. You know, it's all right there in Scripture. He's begging for some water for his tongue. He's begging for someone to go and warn his brothers because they were living just like he was living, a godless heathen. I don't have time for God. I don't need any of that religious stuff. If you want that holy joke, you go for it. I don't need any. I'm good to go until he died. It's all there in Scripture. So if you are going to set a target of getting to heaven, and that's going to be your destination, and your song is, I'm bound for the promised land, then there are some things that you must do to guarantee that's where you're going to end up. Because it won't just be that you just, ah, I just accidentally got to heaven. It's like, you know, tomorrow Valentine's Day. People talk about, ah, I just fell in love. It's like walking in the woods, you tripped over a log. Oh, I, just, I just fell in love. Just fell in love? Well, if you fell in love, I need to tell you there's more to love to keep it going than falling in love. There's stuff you have to do to keep the flame burning. My wife and I might have fell in love years ago, but after over 50 years, I can tell you it better not be accidental because if it's just accidental, it's not lasting. On purpose, on purpose, we have made decisions to love each other and work through everything that life can throw at your door. How many know what I'm talking about? So this thing with serving Jesus, it's not like, well, I'll just roll the dice and maybe my lucky numbers will come up or, or maybe someone will say a good word to St. Peter for me. Look, we've heard all kinds of jokes. It's not going to be any of that kind of stuff. It's going to be because you on purpose have chosen to follow Jesus every day of your life. You have chosen to stay on target and you've chosen God to help you when you get a little off target. So there's a little, there's a little uh, thing here that I saw and, of course, with technology and how it is when you want to find it, you can't find it. But I know Tim. Tim is your man here at this church. And, and many of his age group here. I'm talking about little Tim, not, not, not big Tim. I mean big Tim, not little Tim. Actually, he's called little Tim. I, tell me. But anyway, sometimes we can get to be a little um, off and we need to ask Jesus every day to help us. And the good news is that Jesus helps us if we let him. And uh, this old deacon used to get up and pray. And a person who wrote this says, every time I'm asked to pray, I think of the old deacon who always prayed, Lord, prop us up on our leaning side. Now, most of you will get this illustration because it's a lot of farm country. Some of you grew up on farms, so forth, and you have things on your farm. 
After hearing him pray that prayer many times, someone asked him why he prayed that prayer so fervently. He answered, well, sir, you see, it's like this. I got an old barn out back. Anybody got an old barn out back where you live? Maybe a newer barn, okay? And he says, it's been there a long time. It's withstood a lot of weather. It's, it's gone through a lot of storms, and it stood for many years. It's still standing, but one day I noticed it was leaning to one side a bit. So I went and got some pine poles and propped it up on its leaning side so it wouldn't fall. Then I got to thinking about that and how much I was like that old barn. I've been around a long time. I've withstood a lot of life storms. I've withstood a lot of bad weather in life. I've withstood a a lot of hard times, and I'm still standing too. But I find myself leaning to one side from time to time. So I like to ask the Lord to prop us up on our leaning side because I figure a lot of us get to leaning at times. Anybody know what he's talking about? So someone wrote a song years ago, Learning to Lean, Learning to Lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Lord, prop us up. Keep us on target. Keep us structurally sound so we don't fall over and destruction takes place. I've seen some old barns around that people haven't kept up with. And I thought, so sad as I go by some of these places, and I see the roof is messed all up and it's leaking. And I'm like, if the roof is leaking and it keeps a leaking, it's only a matter of time. And then you go by one day and the whole barn's just falling down or they had to take it down because it's in such bad shape. Lord wants to prop us up. We're all going to have some winds hit against our barn. It's going to shift some things. There might be some heavy snow weights on it. The termites might want to get in there and munch around. You know what I'm talking about? Lord, prop us up. Keep us on target. We want to get to heaven when this life here is over. How many want to get to heaven when this life is over? Am I the only? Okay. I sure don't want to go to the other place. So we come to a man called Caleb, Numbers chapter 13. Many of you know the story, but I'm going to read some verses here as we go through some thoughts to speak to us today about being passionate, being wholehearted, staying on target on the journey. The Lord said to Moses, Numbers 13, 1, and I, I didn't give verses in advance, but you have a Bible in front of you in the pew if you brought your own Bible. You have a phone with it on. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out. From the desert of Paran, all of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. And we just drop down to verse 6. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. And then down to verse 8. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea which is Joshua, son of Nun. So Moses, then, then we'll drop down to verse 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Um, by the way, Joshua was the only person that never had parents. He was a son of Nun. Just seeing if you're awake. Just, just checking, you know. People can fall asleep while you're preaching up here. Verse 17 Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country, see what the land's like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled, unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? 
Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo, Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahaman, Shisha, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. They reached the valley of Eskel. They cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkel because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Wow. I mean, Moses asked a lot of questions, didn't he? Just bringing back a cluster of grapes. We went fishing one time, and because I knew some of the men wouldn't believe me about how big the fish was, I brought back a whole fish. You all with me? Because, you know, people get accused of telling fish stories. How big was it? Well, so we had gone up to New York, and we'd fished for salmon. And there were guys in the church, we were pastoring in Malaga, who loved the fish. I brought back a whole salmon. One of them was 19 pounds, one was 26. They even got bigger than that. They looked at them next year, they were up there fishing. But if I just cut out a fillet and said, well, here's a fillet, but the fish was really... You know, it didn't cut it. They brought back, instead of just telling a story or taking a picture on their cell phone, that's right, they didn't have cell phones, they brought back the grapes. People looked at them like, wow, where'd they come from? They came from the promised land. We're getting ready to end. That's where they came from. So, so they bring out all this great stuff. And then down to verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community of Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses the account of the of this account, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But, verse 28, but, that's where our, a lot of our problems start. We say, this is so, so great, everything's great. But, let me tell you, let me tell you the downside. Oh, before you go that direction, oh, I'm just telling you what, you're going to have some trouble. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Enoch there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites, and the Termites live in the hill country. Oh, excuse me. Are you still, are you still with me? I'm sure there were termites back then too. We've had them for years. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. All of a sudden, from a positive report, we get a negative report. There's so much good stuff in that. Then there's the soil's good, the grapes are good, milk and honey. But you know what? If we go in there, we are going to be destroyed. But wait a minute. Didn't God say, I was giving you that land? Read all the account. And could not the God who got you out of Egypt with 10 separate plagues, who opened then the Red Sea and closed it and destroyed the Egyptian army, could he not help you with whatever stuff you saw that looked so big and strong and powerful? You know, we easily forget, don't we, what God has done for us in the past. These folks aren't out of Egypt that long. They should remember all this. I mean, I would never forget, especially a Red Sea opening in front of me. I mean, you've seen the, the TV version of it, right? It's incredible how they do that. Wind blows it back. And dry ground, God dries the ground for the Israelites. I mean, 
And then you're on the other side, and the Egyptians are like, we're coming to get you. You're not leaving us yet. And they come in the middle of the room, and they're all seeing all of a sudden. It's all destroyed. Could you ever forget that picture? You don't have to look for a photo album to remember that. My goodness, right in front of your eyes, you saw God spare your life and do an incredible miracle. How quickly we can forget. See, Satan is the one that wants us to have spiritual amnesia. Don't ever forget that. In your midst of your trial, your present, you're looking ahead to your future, he wants you to forget any good thing God ever did for you. And he wants you to get off target. He wants you to start moaning, whining, and complaining. Not that anybody here has ever done that. But that's what he wants to do. He wants you to sing this song. It's the favorite song that was on Hee Haw. How many remember Hee Haw? I know how old you are. The old guy sitting on the porch. Hot day. Hound dogs laying there look like they're half dead. And they're singing their song. Whom despair and agony on me. Deep down depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, oh, I'd have, way to go, I appreciate it. I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Ooh. <laughs> if you find yourself singing that song too many times, you need to get another songbook. Take one of these home and borrow it from church. Start singing some of the songs of faith. I'm just telling you. Here they are. They're singing this, this gloom, despair, and agony song. Caleb, verse 30, silences the people before Moses and says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb, wow. He's speaking against all the odds. There's going to be time in your, times in your Christian journey that you're going to have to speak against even people that were good friends of yours in the church. These are family members. All these tribes are all related. There's only two of them that had a positive report. When we were kids, the, the kids' song was, 12 went down to a spy in Canaan. 10 were bad. 2 were good. What did they see when they got to Canaan? 10 were bad and 2 were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes and clusters grow. Some saw God was over all. Ten were bad, two were good. Catch that? Don't be afraid to be the minority when you know you're right on according to God's word. Because you and God are always a majority. And Caleb spoke up. But the men, they didn't want to hear it. The men who had gone up with him, ten of them, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. Shame on you if you're in a group that spreads fear instead of faith. And it can happen within a church. This is a church. This is the church right here in the Old Testament. They spread this bad report. Don't listen to Caleb. Don't listen to Joshua. They don't know what they're talking about. We're going to be eaten up by the giants in the land. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Going into 14. Here's what happens when you 
as, quote, a believer, get your focus off God, and you start functioning by fear instead of by faith, and you start spreading a bad report. Here's what happens in a congregation. That night, all the people in the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Oh, this is so bad. I can't believe it. And the Israelites grumbled against their leaders, Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said, oh, if only we had died in Egypt. It's all right here. I'm not making any of this up. This is what happens when you allow Satan to feed you lies and you spread his lies. Don't be one of those people in the church of Jesus Christ that spreads Satan lies. Spread God's truth. Why? It'd be better if we died in Egypt. Do they remember in Egypt how they were slaves and they kept crying for someone to deliver them? They're out of Egypt a little while. Next thing, oh, let's go back to Egypt. Really? You want to be slaves again? What can God do to please you? I've noticed over the years of ministry, over 45 years of ministry, there are some people that God can't even please. So I stopped wasting my time trying to please. I figured God can't please them. No way I can please them. Are you one of those people? Or are you one that says, God, I trust you no matter what. I'm not going to be a whiner complainer. I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to give in to a false report. Why is the Lord, verse 3, bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives, children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephina, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said again to the entire assembly, Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord's pleased with us, he'll lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Here's what happened to the two positive spies. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> you know there's nothing new under the sun? Have you noticed in our culture today that we like to shut up people to speak truth? You can only speak truth if you agree with me. You only have freedoms to speak your thoughts if you agree. If not, I'm going to cancel you. Nothing new, right? They don't want to hear these two spies. We're going to cancel you guys, and we're not just going to shut your voice up. We're going to kill you. When you got stoned, you were dead. And I'm not talking about alcohol. That kills people too. Are you with me? Be prepared for persecution as long as you're a follower of Jesus. Don't ever think it's not coming because you love Jesus and he loves you. You're going to have persecution, but they were willing to pay the price to tell the people, don't be afraid, we can take the land. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the miraculous signs I performed? I'll strike them with a plague and destroy them, but I'll make you into a nation greater. And, and Moses intercedes for them, says, no, Lord, don't do that. Drop down to verse 23. Here's what the Lord says. Not one of them will ever see the land I promise on oath to the forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And I tell you, down to verse 28, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall 
Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land. I swore, I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your, your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I'll bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected, but you, your bodies will fall in the desert. Your children will be shepherds for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you'll suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I'll surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They'll meet their end in the desert. Here they'll die. So the men Moses has sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. Verse 37, we're in Numbers 14. These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. Now God's pretty serious about when he says stuff, doesn't he? I mean, those guys didn't live for any years in the, in the wilderness. Those 10 guys were struck down right then and there. But for 40 years in the wilderness, one year for each day they explored the land, people are dying. And I want to say to you, I thought about this whole story, and I thought about, can you imagine being two righteous people who believe God and having to live with a lot of infidel unbelievers for 40 years? Well, I'll just leave the church and go to another church. There was another church. They're in the pilgrimage church of the wilderness. They weren't responsible for the wrong that was being done. But they had to live with all those people. Hear me out. Sometimes you get discouraged because what brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so did. You're not the first person to ever have to live with people around you who didn't believe God. They couldn't go anywhere for 40 years. Now, here's what's also interesting. People are dropping dead for 40 years. So I did a little research. Different Bible scholars, they estimated that between 2 million to 3.3 million Israelites came out of Egypt in the Great Exodus. They estimate that the entire adult population that was 20 years old and upward numbered over a million. So remember what God said, all of you 20 and older that didn't believe, you're going to die in the wilderness. So let's just, just for sake, talk about perhaps a million people in 40 years died. Okay? A million. That comes down to 25,000 each year for 40 years. Okay? That breaks down, if you divide 365... That breaks down to approximately 68 people dying every day. How would you like to have 68 funerals every day in your church? Well, you wouldn't have a church because the first 68, I think we'd all be gone. But just think about this. Caleb and Joshua had to live with all that stuff for 40 years. But they kept their focus on God. That's what I want to say to you. Don't miss any of that. I don't care what is happening around you. You can keep your focus on God and live wholeheartedly even if there's unbelievers all around you, even within the church. Are you going to amen? 
Because that's exactly what's happening here. There was nowhere to go but to stay with that group of people until the 40 years had passed that God had said. And then they were going to the promised land. Caleb exercised faith in God, the one who had proved himself in the past. He exercised patience in a wilderness, boot camp style camping, not a nice cabin. He had hope in God's promises based on God's previous track records. Caleb kept a passionate heart before God. When you turn ahead to Joshua chapter 14, here's Caleb. And in, in down in, in verse 8, he says, I, well, let me just go back up. But my brothers who went with, up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. He's talking about his brothers, the ten brothers who didn't believe. But I, however, follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Wow. I want to be like Caleb. I don't want to be like the 10 guys that didn't believe. I want to be like Caleb and, of course, Joshua. And Caleb's just saying, I wholeheartedly served you, God. You made me a promise. I'm 85. I'm ready to take my land. Woo! Give us people like that. Who no matter what their age, no matter what's happening in their life, have kept their focus on the Lord and are going to inherit the promised land. See, God allowed Caleb going to take the land that he had promised. Awesome. Keeping focus. I'm always sad and when people that start the race for Jesus don't finish up. And in all my years of, of, of serving the Lord before I was a minister growing up in church, I watched people who made commitments to Jesus and walked away for a variety of reasons. And then you live long enough to see their life unfold and all kind of problems because they walked away from God. I don't want to be one of those people. I want to express faith in God daily. I want to hang on, patiently wait, and uh, I'm going to express hope in my God all the time. So what if we bring that picture up? I know we're coming to the end here, and we're going to have communion in a minute. Um, there's a picture that someone sent me, and um, what's that look like to you? Does that look like a football stadium? Like everybody's nice and warm, right? Try. Now, I'm not sure where this picture came from, but how many of you have ever watched football over the years? Anybody? Is anybody going to watch the big, big event tonight? Big Super Bowl. Okay. It's going to be played where their concern is going to be too warm. Roll back the clock a couple of weeks. If any of you watched the Buffalo Bills play the New England Patriots in Buffalo, New York, anybody watch that game? I was glad the Buffalo Bills won, but regardless, it was six degrees at game time, with the wind blowing, it was minus six. And I need to tell you, as they scanned the crowd, 
I didn't see an empty seat in the stadium. Not one empty seat. I'm like, wow. I wonder if those people get up for church on Sunday morning at six degrees and say, no problem at all. We're going to church. I don't care if there's a foot of snow. We're going to church. I just, I just kind of wonder that. I wonder how passionate those same people are that were at that game to go to their church. Snow and cold, whatever. You know, just kind of question. And then, and then I look at stats and a Super Bowl tonight, Cincinnati Bengals versus the L.A. Rams. If you wanted to go, which is probably too late now, there are planes, though. The tickets started at 3000 and up, just a small little figure. Only 3000 that, That's for the nosebleed section. And uh, they go up to over 40000 The stadium will be packed. It holds 70,000 fans. And I guess I wonder, would those people go to church and tithe and give to missions that are willing to lay down three grand, 10 grand, 15 grand for a ticket for a 60 minute game, which lasts three hours with all the commercials and timeouts and all that kind of stuff? I just kind of wonder that. I don't know if you ever do, but I do. If you wanted to get one of the real nice seats there, you could get a 16-person patio suite. It's only $218,000. And when I look at this, I look at people that are passionate about their sport, and they'll do whatever to get there. Are you with me? And then the people that advertise... The first Super Bowl commercial, a 30-second ad, cost 37500 to 42500 There are about 80 to 90 Super Bowl commercials, okay? Today, a 30-second ad costs $6.5 million. 30 seconds. I wonder if some of those corporations that were willing to put out $6.5 million for 30 seconds would like to make a nice donation to this church. Maybe you could find some of them and call them and say, we know you put out 6.5 for 30 seconds. Would you just like send us 100,000? We we're not asking millions. We'd really help the ministry here in Salem County. Maybe you'll check that out and see if you get anybody that would bite on that. You might be surprised. Maybe someone would. But I thought, they're passionate about something that's so temporary. Lord, help me to be even more passionate about that which is eternal. Help me not to be making excuses for not serving you. Getting up and going to church. Being involved in the body of Christ. Rolling up my sleeves and making a difference. I was telling Doris, I believe, before the service. My Aunt Millie, Rossi, lives in Reading, PA. She just turned 101 recently, I believe. My wife and I visited her just before her... Or Maybe she'd already turned 100. Yeah, she already turned 100. Aunt Millie has been a member of the Church of God, Pentecostal Church of God in Reading, since she was young. She said to us, I miss being in church. She said, I'm in church every Sunday. And I'm not just in church. I'm involved in ministries in the church. I'm just losing my Aunt Millie. I'm like, and she's upset because her legs were bothering and she couldn't get up to get to church. And I thought, wow, could I have everyone like you in a congregation who makes silly excuses for not serving God and being part of God's church? And then she said something else to us. 
She said, Uncle Louie died many years ago. Uncle Louie is one of my favorite uncles. She said, when Uncle Louie died, I kept giving the same amount of finances we gave when he was living, even though my income changed. And I said, God bless you, Aunt Millie, because you know what? God will take care of every one of your needs. You don't have to do that, but you chose to do that and to be liberal in your giving. I want to be like Aunt Millie. <laughs> I want to be like Caleb. I want to be like these people that believe God no matter what was happening and are passionate about the Lord. And today as we conclude, we're looking at what Jesus did for us. Hallmark had a slogan. And the slogan, I think, was, if you care enough, you'll send the very best. You won't just buy a card at a dollar store for that sweetheart of yours. You'll get a Hallmark card. And they'll look on the back and say, oh, you got a Hallmark card. Little Tim, that's so awesome. Big Tim, your wife, your girlfriend, that's so awesome. Or they're going to look back and say, uh, from the dollar store, it's a 50-cent card. No, they're going to look back, Hallmark, it costs you $8.95 for the card. Plus, you got roses and chocolate and all kinds of stuff for Valentine's Day. Wow. God cared enough to send his very best. And it wasn't roses or chocolates. It wasn't a card. It was Jesus. I find it's easy to give money. But if you gave me a choice, Keith, do you want to give some money or do you want to be nailed to a cross? I wouldn't have to think about that very long. How much money do you want? Jesus was nailed to a cross. So Peter says it this way. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without spot or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. He was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Wow, what a great passage. Jesus demonstrates what real love is. And then he tells us to love each other deeply. I think each of you have a little container there in front of you. You take off that top layer. If you can get that off, you get to the the wafer. Now I realize that these little things are really <clears throat> germ-free. We started doing this at first AG, Carney's Point. No one has to worry about who touched who touched that bread, who broke that up and put it in the plate, who 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 put the juice in the cups. Were their hands clean? 
But I found that these little cups have a problem for me. I sometimes can't get the top layer off. Is it just me? Does anyone else struggle with the top, the top layer? It all wants to come off at one I, I don't need the, the juice yet. I just need the top layer. And I was asking my wife this morning. I said, can you get, can she, do you have to do it now? I said, no, but I, I got to have it ready when I, when I get up there later for communion. So I, I managed to pick through the plastic and I got it off. In the process, it, it broke up the wafer in tiny little pieces. But you know what? It's a perfect picture because Jesus' body was broken for me. Broken for all. And through his brokenness, we can be made whole. Take this bread, Paul says. It represents his body. It's broken for you. Let's take it together. We sing hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. You did something no one else could do. Came to heal the brokenhearted. Set the captive free. Bring deliverance to those in bondage. Then Paul says in that passage in Corinthians that the cup represents his blood. Behold the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world when he saw Jesus coming. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. The fulfillment of all Old Testament types. Jesus, once and for all, lays his life down. You know, you didn't have to come this morning bringing an animal for sacrifice, did you? Because Jesus paid it all. And this little cup, it represents his blood that was shed. Greatest sacrifice that was made. He sent his very best. And we benefit from it. Let's take it together. We thank you, Jesus. May not one of us leave here with hardened hearts, faithless hearts, angry hearts. May we leave saying, thank you, Lord, for your great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his very best, his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. You made a way where there seemed to be no way that we as sinners could be forgiven. And we're all sinners, your word says, and we need a Savior. You chose to be our Savior. And you paid the ultimate price, the terrible, terrible beating and then crucifixion for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. We gave you praise this morning. We say to you again, Lord, that we are bound for the promised land. We will live wholeheartedly, passionate for you, until the day you call us home. We will put our hands to the plow, and we will not turn back, no matter what. We will live for you and run this race until we see you face to face. Let's stand together, and if you could lead us in a concluding song or two. Thank you for letting us share today. God bless you. We love you. God loves you whole much more. He will do great things in your life as you daily surrender to him. Praise God. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me
precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other faults I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And no He's the flow that makes me white as snow. No other faults I know. Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, I can wash. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? And nothing but the blood of Jesus. And no precious is the flow that me white as snow no other faults I know nothing but the blood of Jesus nothing oh nothing but the blood of Jesus nothing but the blood Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in this place. Little good. Hey, Lord. We praise your name because you are worthy, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice, Lord, for dying for our sins, Lord, that you have washed us white as snow, Lord, that we should not be ashamed of our guilt or our sin anymore, Lord, because you forgave us, Jesus, Lord, and you continually forgive us every day, Lord. I just ask that we would ask for forgiveness, Lord, that we would continually put our eyes on you, Lord, in that relationship with you, Jesus, that we would continue to get in your word daily because your word has truth, Lord, your word has power. Lord, and as we continue to bring our requests before you, Lord, and to thank you for every blessing that you give us, Lord, as we give, as we go through our lives, Lord. And I pray as we go beyond these walls that we would be a, a hope, Lord, through your name to other people, Lord, that they would see the light that comes from us, Lord. And they say, why are you so happy, Lord, that we would say that it's from you, Jesus, Lord, that the joy of our Lord is our strength this morning, Jesus, Lord. You have given us joy. You have given us peace, Lord. You have given us hope, Lord. There is hope in your name, Lord. And I pray that we would share that with all those we come in contact with. Help us, Lord. Give us traveling mercies as we go home today, Lord. Bless each other, Lord. Let us be a continual light to the people around us, Jesus, Lord. And as we come back, Lord, let us bring somebody, Lord, to, to show them, Lord, what you are all about, Lord. Let, let us just continue, to, Lord, to give them, them hope, Jesus, Lord, that you would continue to change lives around us. Lord. We just praise you, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, 
You can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.